You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Uh, well, how many of you felt like you was coming through the remnants of Hurricane Florence when you came to church tonight? My goodness, there's a lot of rain out there uh, coming out of the sky. I, I uh, told my family, I said, I'm going to run and I'm going to get in the van before I get too wet. And uh, man, I was too wet when I got in the van. Amen. Uh, it, it didn't matter how fast. And then I realized that the umbrella's in there. My wife needs the umbrella. And I said, well, I'm going to have to get this back. And then I saw Makai peeking his head out the door. I said, Makai, come here. <laughs> and I passed him that umbrella. He got good and wet getting it to his mom. Amen. But uh, we made it here. And then y'all see the side of the church parking lot over here. It looks like, looks like we got a baptistry set up out there. Amen. And uh, we're, ready to, we're ready to have baptizing tonight. Amen. Uh, for those that just like sprinkling, man, just coming in, you got the sprinkling. But for those that want the full immersion, just come out to the parking lot. Amen. And by the way, we are immersion only in case anybody's wondering. But, uh, uh, but the parking lot, we sure do have it out there. And uh, so I'm thankful that uh, you all came out uh, on a night like tonight uh, with all the rain uh, that speaks to your commitment and dedication. Um, and, and I sure appreciate it. When we're uh, over in Africa, many times we see just torrential downpours and, uh, and folks will just come, you know, they'll, they'll just walk. They may, you know, when the downpours on, they'll just get under an awning somewhere and wait for it to subside and then they'll just keep coming. And sometimes I come back to the States and, and I think I've told you before, I get a little reverse culture shock because people in the States are not nearly as dedicated. Uh, but tonight, man, we're seeing some good dedication. Amen. Y'all braving all that water and ladies letting your hair get all messed up. Amen. To come running through it. And uh, good to see you here in the service tonight. Let's really, and I know I mentioned it in prayer time. But let's really be praying for Pastor, amen, that God would help him to get feeling better, get over uh, this bug that he's got. And while we're praying for Pastor, let's continue praying for God to provide an assistant pastor, amen. I know a lot of folks have asked, they said, are you the assistant pastor? Because I'm in the office that says assistant pastor, but I am not <laughs> the assistant pastor, amen. And uh, not looking to be the assistant pastor, I'm looking to be the pastor of the Falls International Baptist Church. And, uh, but Pastor, really, it'd be good uh, to have an assistant here to help him. Uh, with uh, the many responsibilities uh, that go uh, with, with pastoring a church. And let's be praying for a choir leader as well. I don't know about y'all, but on Sunday mornings, it's driving me nuts not to see a choir back here. And uh, so let's be praying. And maybe, and I know I said this a few weeks ago when I filled in and preached for pastor, but maybe somebody here, maybe someone that's in the choir that knows enough about music that you could lead the choir, just stand there and wave your arm, whatever you got to do. Just somebody volunteer, amen. And, uh, and, and let's get a choir going again for the glory of God, amen. Uh, I love a good choir, and I don't think it'll hurt the Lord's feelings to hear a choir singing on Sunday morning again at Eastside Baptist Church. So let's be praying about these things here this evening. If you have your Bibles, we'll open to Genesis 2. Genesis 2. And as Pastor texted me, uh, this, uh, I guess this morning, about uh, filling in this evening, my mind immediately went to the message that I'll bring. Sunday night, he had asked me to bring a message uh, that we had preached out at family camp. And I was really, in my mind, going back and forth between one of two specific messages that I preached there. And uh, so I preached the first message Sunday, having no idea that I'd have another opportunity uh, to be able to preach here this evening. So I'm going to preach the second in that series that we preached about on Sunday. If you remember, Sunday, and let me turn this 
Oh, and there we go, guys. About forgot. All right. Sunday we preached on on the purpose of the home, uh, and and as we talked about the purpose of the home, we dealt with the fact that the home is the foundation of civilization. Well, we dealt with the fact that the home is the fabric of a strong uh, moral society, and then we dealt with the fact that the home foreshadows the relationship between Christ and the church. So we're going to kind of pick it up there and read Genesis two verse seven and then verses 18 down to verse 25. So Genesis 2, verse 7, the Bible said, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Now let's come down to verse 18. The Bible said, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. And I want to say amen right there. He said, I will make him help me for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all the cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found an help meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And if you come to chapter 4 and verse 1 and 2, the Bible said, And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived, and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And there we see that first family uh, in their creation. And so let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. And I want to preach tonight and teach a little bit, preach a little bit on God's purpose in creating the home. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, now we pray that you would bless as we teach the Word of God tonight. I pray, Lord, as we do some teaching, do a little preaching, Lord, that our hearts would be open and receptive and very sensitive to the sweet Spirit of God. Lord, lead and guide and direct me. Lord, help me not to depart. Lord, from the parameters of the clear principles of God's Word as we teach on the home tonight. And Lord, I pray that you would anoint me as I teach and preach. And I pray that you would anoint the ears of the listeners as they listen. Lord, help us uh, once again to receive with meekness the engrafted word. I pray that these principles, Lord, I pray that you'd help us all to come to realize when we hear biblical principles preached, they're like keys that unlock the door of God's blessings upon our homes and upon our lives. And Lord, I pray that we'd use those keys and unlock those blessings as we live out the principles of God's word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, this evening I want to preach out of our text that we've just read on God's purpose in creating the home. And as we mentioned on Sunday night as we got into the message, we believe strongly, very strongly uh, in the creation account. Amen. Uh, we believe that God created the world in a literal six-day period. Uh, we do not believe in, in evolution. We reject the idea of, of, uh, of, of theistic evolution, that God started everything in motion billions of years ago and then kind of brought order out of chaos over time. We believe the Genesis account. We believe in the beginning, God. And if you can believe the first four words of your Bible, you'll have no problem believing the rest of your Bible. Now, personally, I just want to say this real quickly. I find it much easier to place faith in the Bible, amen, and to place faith 
my faith in the Genesis account, then I would find it to place faith in the fact that somehow we just got here uh, and somehow order came out of disorder, that, uh, that we have order out of chaos. Uh, I find it much easier to believe the creation account. I'll tell you the story and we'll get into the message. Several years ago, many years ago now, I was doing some street preaching in Rapid City, South Dakota. And as I was preaching that night out on a street corner, a man walked up to me and he said, you're, you're, you're crazy. And I've been called a lot of things by a lot of people and so that was just one more to add to the list. And uh, I said, well, why do you say I'm crazy? He said, you're preaching that Bible like it's true. You're probably one of these nut jobs that believes that God created the world. And I said, well, I, I, I do plead guilty to the fact that I believe God created the world, absolutely. And he said, you're probably one of these right-wing conservative guys. You're probably a Republican. He starts just saying all this stuff. And uh, so uh, we talked a little bit, and he had a clear anger and a hatred towards the things of God. And he began to tell me how crazy that we were to believe in the Genesis account of creation. And I told him, I said, you know, it's an interesting thing happened to me today. And he said, well, what, uh, what, what are you talking about? And I said, man, I went over to a place called Mount Rushmore today. He said, I know where Mount Rushmore is. I said, yeah, but I got to tell you what happened, man. I got up there and I said, Have you, I mean, you've been there? He said, yeah. I said, man, isn't that awesome? He said, well, yeah, it's pretty, pretty nice to look at. I said, no, seriously, man, there, there's a mountain over there. And instead of being a regular mountain, there's four heads on, there's four faces on that mountain. And he said, I know what you're talking about. He said, you're talking crazy. I said, no, I'm not talking crazy. There's four faces on that mountain. I said, I can't believe over billions of years how that the rain came and the blizzards have come. Lots of blizzards around here, amen. And the sunshine for the two weeks that we get sunshine, amen. And all that, that's how it feels this summer, right? All, the, all this weather and everything. And over billions of years, four faces have formed on that mountain. And he said, what are you talking about? You're crazy. And I said, you know, they just happened to look like four presidents that our country's had. And boy, he'd about had it at that point. And he said, what do you say? You're a nut. What are you saying? I said, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're telling me that you don't believe that could occur over billions of years? He said, no, sir. And here's what he said. He said, there has to be a designer. Someone had to design that. Someone had to make that. I said, that's right. And that's just four stone faces on a mountain. You're talking about faces here with that, 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 that have mouths, that have got lungs attached to them. We breathe. We can see. We can hear. We can smell. We can taste. And you believe that we evolved over billions of years and that somehow those faces had to have a designer. You're backwards in your thinking. Amen. And he looked at me and said, well, I, I think I can see the point that you're making. Now, now, here's what I'm saying tonight. We believe strongly in the Genesis account of creation. And as we look at the Genesis account, and we see the literal six-day period, and then God rested on the seventh, we find that on the sixth day of creation, and I mentioned Sunday night, that God on the third day would say twice, he saw what he created, it was good. And the fourth day, he would see what he created, he would say it was good. And on the fifth day, he would see what he created, and he would say it was good. But on the sixth day, the Bible tells us that God created man. But the Bible doesn't tell us that God just created man on the sixth day. In Genesis 1, when he gives us the general account of creation, God tells us he created them, male and female. So both of them were created on the sixth day. And if you come to Genesis chapter 2, 
Then he starts, he took what he gave us in general in chapter 1, and he starts spelling out the details of how he created the man and how he created the woman in Genesis chapter 2. And, and we see that God on the sixth day created Adam, as we mentioned on Sunday night. He already had the animals that had been created on the sixth day, the land animals. And so he had brought the animals to Adam. He brought the fowls of the air to Adam. And, and between creating Adam and creating Eve, God brought those animals by Adam. And Adam named all of the animals. I'm telling you, as we said Sunday night, there was nothing illiterate about Adam. There was nothing savage or uncivilized about Adam. Uh, we do not have some kind of a, a prehistoric uh, view of Adam. He was, he was very, very civilized, very refined, very knowledgeable, very intellectual. He was the beginning of the creation of God. And so Adam names all of these animals, and he sees there's the mister and there's the missus. There's the mister and there's the missus. There's the mister and there's the missus. And I feel sorry for the translator tonight. Amen. But the Bible said, for Adam, there was not found, and help me. And, and so at the end of the sixth day of creation, God would, guys, God would do something special. Creation was not complete until God finished the work of creation. God had already made Adam out of good old, top of the run, first class dirt. That's what we're made out of, guys. And, and next time you get to thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to, or I do, dirt stuck on itself is mud. <laughs> Amen. And that's what we're like when we get stuck full of pride. Amen. And so here God creates Adam, and there's no help meet, and God puts Adam to sleep. You all know the account. We just read the account. God puts Adam to sleep. And while Adam's sleeping, God takes a rib out of his side. And again, as we mentioned, Sunday night, he didn't take a bone out of his head so that she would rule over Adam. And he didn't take a bone out of his foot so Adam would walk all over her. He, created, he took a bone out of Adam's side, and he created a woman, and he brought her to the man. How special is that? Uh, a team is what we have here. She's going to be his companion to go through life. They're going to be heirs of the grace of life together. And I know what I'm about to tell you is not in the Bible. The Bible does say that Adam looked at her and called her a woman, but the real story of how that came about, and this is a little Ruckmanology here, not, not Ruckmanidology, okay, but my, my last name's Ruckman for the visitors, all right? And, uh, and so, so God created Eve, and, and, and then he woke Adam up, and Adam looked at her and said, whoa, man, and that's where the name woman come from. Eh? All right. Y'all, some of you are awake tonight. All right. Can you, hey, listen just for a minute. How awesome must that have been for Adam to wake up out of surgery, to wake up out of God being the surgeon? No mistakes on that uh, hospital bed, right? And he wakes up and he looks over and there she is. There is a woman that God has made just for him. And the Bible said that God brought her to the man. God gave the first bride away in the act of holy matrimony. Amen. God gave the first, you know, uh, on Saturday we had the wedding here and here's Keith and here's Anna and pastor said something along these lines, who giveth this woman to this man or who giveth this woman to be wed? One of those two questions. And, and, and normally the father who's walked his daughter down the aisle will say something like this, his mother and I, or as our brother said the other day, he just said, we do. And they gave her away. But God, God was on earth. God gave the first woman to the first man in holy matrimony, the first wedding. And notice this, because people say, well, the marriage, there is no marriage until there's a physical relationship. And I'm not trying to be crude, but I want you to notice what Adam said before there was ever a physical relationship. The Bible said, Adam said, this is now bone of my bones 
and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Amen. And so we find there, uh, you, know, pre, you know, I've had so many people come to me and say, what's so important about marriage? What's so important about the vows? The vows are very important to God. The vows constitute the marriage. Amen. When we stand, when they stood the other day and they made a vow to one another in the presence of witnesses and to God Almighty, God holds people to covenants and God holds people to vows. Amen. And so they made that vow. So God brings her to Adam and, and gives her to him. And God performs the first wedding ceremony there. And I just think that's awesome. So let's talk tonight real quickly now that I've given you all that introduction. Let's talk about God's purpose in creating the home. Number one, here it is. Why did God create the home? God creates the woman, brings her to the man. You know, Adam, he was there, you know, and naming the animals and all this without. Why does God bring her to Adam? Number one, companionship was provided companionship was provided we find in genesis 2:18, god said it is not good that man should be alone and i'm just going to tell you it that's a true statement amen that is a true statement i don't i don't like to be alone i'm thankful that i have my wife there, there there's times hey listen my wife and i we never ever have an argument every now and then we have discussions but we never have an argument amen i want to make that clear okay and sometimes when we're in the middle of a discussion i may not look at her and say I'm telling you, it's just, you know, I may not say what I'm about to say when we're in the middle of a discussion, all right, which is, I think the last discussion we had was like 10 years ago or something like that, amen. But what I'm saying, amen, tonight is that I thank God for my wife, amen. It isn't good for man to be alone. I'm telling you, if you're here and you're alone, never been married, I pray for you, amen, I will. But there's something about guys, God put it in you, young men, I'm praying for you. There's something about getting married, having God raise up that person to be your helpmeet, to be your companion, to keep you. God looked and said, Adam's going to be lonely. It's not good for Adam. Notice, up until now, everything he said was good. He said, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. There's Adam. Then there's Eve. Then he says, it's very good. Check it out, Genesis 2. He never said very good until he brought the woman to the man. The crowning work of God's creation was Eve. Really was. The woman's the crowning work of God's creation. And we're to treat them that way, guys. Can I get a witness? Amen. I know I sound like a black preacher when I say, can I get a witness? But I'm fixing to start an African church, so you might as well amen me, all right? Amen. Thank you, preacher. That's good, all right. So, I'm saying loneliness. Companionship was provided. God, God was making it where Adam wouldn't have to walk through this life lonely. And then notice, notice there's a longing in, not only do we see loneliness in chapter 2, it's not good that man should be alone, but there's a longing. In Genesis 2, verse number 20, the Bible said there was not found and help me for him. This guy hasn't even been in existence for a day yet. And the word found means he's looking, amen? I never found someone I wasn't looking for. I, know, I mean, normally you, you, you ever play lost and found or, or hide and seek? You see, you, listen, I was 19 years old, Brother Dana, and I thought I was going to die a bachelor. <laughs> man, I don't know, man. It just started to me early. I wanted to get married, man. When I was a kid, I wanted to get married. I said, man, I want to have a wife. I want to have a woman by my side. Amen. I want, and I'm telling you, I'm 19, and there wasn't nobody on the horizon. And man, then, man, life just took forever, man. I, I blinked since then, and here I am, 44 years old. But there I was, 19. I look at my boys, and I'm like, you guys can wait another 10 years, amen. But when I was that age, I'm like, I'm going to die. <laughs> There's no woman in sight. And man, praise God, by the time I was 20, and I just turned 20, I was married, amen. Hallelujah. I know it don't excite y'all that I got married, but it sure excites me that I got married, amen. I'm simply saying companionship was provided and then then notice there's loneliness there's longing but then there there's loving amen god gave him a woman that he could love a woman that he could nourish a woman that he could cherish a woman 
that he could show what would be the love of Christ, he gave her to him so that he could love her. And he says there, again in verse 23, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. And, and, and I thank God. I thank God for marriage. Amen. I thank God uh, for providing companionship. I, I'm thankful that, that Adam wasn't the last guy that God gave a woman to, amen, in, in the bonds of holy matrimony. I'm thankful to the Lord, amen, uh, to have that special someone by my side. And you, some of you have that special someone by your side. And I thank the Lord for that, amen, that we can be heirs of the grace of life together. I look at my grandfather. My grandfather, he, he was married 68 years. Man, you know, it starts out, guys, doesn't it? It starts out with puppy love, right? Somebody, somebody says it turned into a dog's life. <laughs> no, man, not, not for everybody, guys. Come on. Puppy love. And yeah, boy, there's that kid. I look at him now, man. I'm telling you, I'm getting place where I look at a 23-year-old and think he's 15, you know? And, and it's like, man, they're just kids. Puppy love. And then, and then they get married, and there's that passionate love. I mean, they just really love each other. But I'm telling you, there's, there's a perfect love that develops over the years between a husband and a wife. I mean, it just, it just gets more and more perfect until those imperfections seem to be worked out. And it's almost, it, we'll never attain that love that God has for people, even in our marriages. But I'm telling you, I look at my grandpa and my grandmother, and they're close, amen, 68 years together. My wife's grandparents have been married, and they're both still alive, 69 years now. And her grandfather almost passed away two Christmases ago, and she went in to see him and her dad was there, and several others were there, and one of them was riding home with her grandma, and the grandma made a statement to this effect as he's laying in the hospital, and they thought he was going to pass away. She said, I hope he's okay. I, I've only had him for 69 years. And, you know, from our point of view, it's like, that's a long time, but from her point of view, it's just passed by so quickly, so quickly, so quickly. But there's a love that, that, that over the years, it gets perfected. I'm telling you, I can tell you, I can look at my grandfather in the last 10 years of my grandmother's life and there's nothing that he would not do for my grandmother. There's not one thing he would not do to take care of her physical needs. Things that maybe 50 years ago he wouldn't have thought of doing. But after being married 60 years and she had needs and he loved her, he did not see that older woman that had a stroke that was laying there, that in the last days things weren't quite right. That's not, I, I'm convinced that he saw that woman that walked down the aisle 68 years before, amen, as he loved her and as he treated her. I'm thankful that God gave us, each of us, a companion, amen. I, you're looking at someone that believes that God has created a woman for a man, amen, that God's created a man for a woman. I believe that, amen. And so, let me ask you this. Does your place, does your home, does your family, sir, ma'am, does your family look like a place of loneliness or does it look like a place of love are you companions heirs of the grace of life together in your home or are you cohabitors in the same house with no idea who that person is i knew who they used to be but i no longer know them anymore i'm glad god gave us a companion amen number two paradise was completed when god finishes creating uh, the woman and brings her to the man and God brings them together in this marriage ceremony we find that that this woman is the crowning work of God's creation but God brings them together and the male and the female God God looks and says it's very good and and I want to say 
and I'm not diminishing what I said when I said that the woman is the crowning work of God's creation, but I'm telling you tonight that marriage, we could say equally, is the crowning work of God's creation. Have you ever heard the phrase, last but not least? That phrase applies when it comes to the creative order. The woman come last, but she is not the least. You can mark that down. She was the last creature created by God, and then God brought her to the man, and God walked her down the aisle and gave her to Adam. And we see all that. When God finished his work of creation, he finished it. I believe he finished it with a wedding, amen, as he brings her to the man. And I want to say, as I said on Sunday night again, marriage and the home are the most basic and the most fundamental and the most wonderful of God's institutions upon this earth. I thank God for the government. We talked about it last Sunday. I thank God for the church, but I thank God for the home. You can have a strong home with a corrupt government and an apostate church, but you cannot have a strong church or a strong government without strong homes. It is an impossibility. The home, again, is, that fun, is, is fundamental. Uh, and so I thank the Lord for that. And then we see, not only is the marriage the crowning work of God's creation, but a marriage uh, is a match made in heaven. Literally, this was a match made in paradise. They're in the Garden of Eden. You don't get more paradise than in the Garden of Eden. Amen. And that's where the first marriage was made. And I want to say that, that and, and listen real closely, Because I know sometimes as I preach along these lines, somebody says, well, I'll tell you right now, my marriage wasn't a match made in heaven. Well, can I say with all due respect, you married her or you married him, amen. And you thought then it was. Things may have changed, people may change, preferences may change, but I want to tell you something. The Bible said what God has joined together, marriage was instituted in heaven, amen. God joins people together. You say, well, I married outside of the will of God. Can I say this, dear sir, dear ma'am? And I say this with all the love of my heart, amen. You may have married outside the will of God, but the moment you said I do, that became the will of God in Christ Jesus for you, amen. You mark it down, it is the will of God. God has joined you together, amen. And so we must stay together until death do us part. I was talking to Anna, I think it was last uh, Friday night just before the rehearsal, and I said, you believe in in marriage is till death do you part? And she said, oh, I've told Keith, we're not even going to have divorce in our vocabulary. And, uh, and I said, well, I said, there, it, but, but you are going to say till death do us part. She said, well, what, what are you getting at? I said, well, I said, you know, we, we believe marriage is for life. But I said, with that clause till death, I kind of like it because, man, we can get the shotgun after each other if it gets too bad. Amen. And she said, we're not going to do that. Amen. I said, well, you haven't been married. And I'm just kidding. All right. Praise the Lord. All right. But anyhow, so we see uh, marriage is a match made in heaven. Somebody wisely said that a godly home is a little heaven on earth. And an ungodly home is sometimes a little of the purgatory on earth. We'll say it that way. Amen. The home completed paradise so much so that William Cowper, who was a poet, he called the home, quote unquote, the only bliss of paradise that survived the fall. Amen. And it's true. It's true. It is. Ecclesiastes 9.9 says, Live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of the life of thy vanity, which he had given thee under the sun all the days of thy vanity, for that is thy portion in this life. Guys, did you get that? God said, your wife is your portion. Live joyfully. Man, enjoy your sojourn on this earth together. Proverbs 5.18 and 19 says, Let thy fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Be ravished always with her love. Proverbs 18.22 said, Whoso findeth a wife, findeth a good thing, and obtaineth favor from the Lord. So I'm saying, is a match made in heaven. And then, last but not least tonight, we see not only did God provide companionship for the man in this uh, marriage, not only uh, was this uh, a match made in heaven, paradise was completed, but we we see here tonight that redemption's plan 
was instituted. You say, what do you mean? What do you mean preacher redemption's plan was instituted? You're talking about God bringing a man and a woman together, creating a home. What's that got to do with creation? Well, if you read further into Genesis 3, you know the rest of the story. The home messed up. They messed up. Your home ever have a mess up? Are you perfect as a husband, as a father? In biblical language, I trial not. <laughs> Are you perfect as a wife and mother? No. <laughs> we all mess up. Our relationship, sometimes we mess up. Sometimes our homes mess up. We said it on Sunday, again, you can't unscramble a scrambled egg, amen. But I thank God for grace and mercy. There's Adam and Eve. They're living in their paradise home in the Garden of Eden. And the tempter comes to Eve. You know the story. And, and he comes up and he says, Yea, hath God said. And he begins to question the word of God. Be careful when people start putting question marks where God put periods. That's a real serious thing. Yea, hath God said. And the Bible is clear as we read it that Eve was completely deceived by the serpent. Eve was deceived. The Bible said that she fell into sin. She was deceived. But the Bible is equally clear that Adam walked into sin with his eyes wide open. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. And God held Adam responsible for the sin. Adam was first. When God met with Adam and Eve in the garden, he did not go to Eve first because Adam was the head of the home. He went to Adam first. Adam was first in the matter of spiritual responsibility. And the Bible will tell us, wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all of sin. Think about this church just for a little bit. Sometimes our kids or sometimes maybe even ourselves, we look and say, what is, what is so wrong with that one thing over there? There's that one thing that I want to do and I've heard pastor preach it was wrong. I've seen where the Bible said it's wrong, but I really don't understand what's so wrong with that one thing. I mean, we're not talking about, we're not talking about a bottle of Budweiser, guys. We're not talking about you know, a joint over here that someone's going to smoke and, you know, God said thou shalt not smoke a joint. That's not what God said there in the book of Genesis. God didn't say, all right, you know, here's Adam and here's Eve. Now you can do whatever you want to. Just don't go live in adultery. There wasn't any other woman to live in adultery with, right? Or the other way around. That wasn't, you say, what's the big deal? It was just a piece of fruit. That's all it was, was a piece of fruit. What's so wrong about eating a piece of fruit? What, what is morally wrong about eating a piece of fruit that God said not to eat? Here's what's wrong with it. God said not to. Guys, we don't always understand why things are wrong, but if God says it's wrong, we just believe God. Amen. I, I can't, I've tried to teach my children. I've heard people say, well, you should explain to your children what, you know, what God says is wrong and why it's wrong. I cannot always explain why something is wrong. I cannot always show the bad effects that come from doing something over here. I, there's things you can look and say, oh, there's clear consequences to that. Sometimes we look and say, I can't see the consequences, but if God said it's wrong, then it's wrong. And the sin for Adam and Eve in eating that fruit was that God said, don't eat it. That's all that was wrong with it. God said, don't do it. That's all that was wrong. What happened? What were the consequences? Do you know every funeral you have ever attended as a result of eating that piece of fruit? Wherefore is but one man sent into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Every tear that you've ever shed is a result 
of one man's disobedience in the Garden of Eden. Every trial you've ever had to go through, every weed you've had to pull in the garden, every time a woman's brought a baby into this world and brought that baby into this world and there was, there was labor pains associated with that child coming into this world, it's all a result going back to one man doing one thing that God said not to do. Can I tell you, there's a high cost to disobeying the clear commands of Scripture. High cost. Well, they disobeyed, and the world was plunged into sin. Every war, every bit of bloodshed, all the turmoil that's in our world today, all the result of one man walking willfully into sin and sinning against God. And so their home, it messed up. And so if we were teaching a doctrinal class, I would say something like this. Adam is the federal head of the human race. What do we mean by that? God speaks of Adam throughout the Scripture, and he speaks of the whole race of mankind when he speaks of Adam. The first Adam fell into sin, so we've all fallen into sin. The first Adam had to suffer the, con the consequences of sin, and so we all do. And so wherefore, by one man, Adam, sin entered the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men. We're sinners by nature, and, the, and we inherit it through the bloodline that came through Adam. We're all the children of Adam. We all have that sin nature. We're all sinners. Is that right? Adam is the head of the human race. Adam is the head of this fallen race of men that you and I are a part of. And it wasn't just that Adam messed up or that the human race messed up. It was that the first home sinned as a home. We're not talking about just one person or the other. Both of them sinned as a home against God and were condemned before God. Before any children were born to Adam and Eve, they sinned against God. And they found themselves condemned, as all of their children have sooner or later, and trying to hide from God in their garden home. But I want to say tonight, but God, amen? But God, but God, but God, who is rich in mercy. This Bible teaches us that God, He is slow to anger, but He is quick in mercy. He is rich in mercy. He is plenteous in mercy. And God came down looking for those two lost sinners in the Garden of Eden, amen. And where were they? They were hiding, hiding from God. Put those fig leaf garments on, trying to hide from God. But when God showed up, they realized those garments would not cover their nakedness, and they're hiding from God. And God came looking for those lost sinners, as God always does. And God found those lost sinners, amen. And God gave them a choice on that day. And, and, and they got right, amen, I believe that. And God gave them mercy, and He forgave our two repentant parents and he provided a way of salvation for them. It was all of Adam's sinful race that would be birthed out of that first home. But in Genesis 3.15, the same race that is now a race of condemned sinners because the first parents have sinned against God, now condemnation will be passed upon the entire world. All of their offspring will be, will be born in sin, will have to suffer the consequence and the curse of sin. But God, in Genesis 3.15, provides a way of redemption, a way of salvation for those two sinners in the garden. Amen. I'm going to tell you something, friend. God was not caught off guard when Adam and Eve sinned. God wasn't sitting up in heaven saying, what am I going to do? Man, Gabriel, they just messed up the plan. I, I created them and they just messed up. What am I going to do? God in his foreknowledge, God, that we don't believe in four cause. God did not cause them to sin, but in his foreknowledge, God knew they would sin. 
And God was already ahead of the game. Amen, if we could say it that way. And God had already provided a way. God already had it in his plans that his son would come as a savior to the world. And so God gives the first promise of that redemption. The first promise in your Bible of redemption is in Genesis 3.15 while God is still talking to and about the first home. The Bible said in Genesis 3 verse 15, if you'll read it with me, the Bible said, and I'll put enmity between thee and the woman. God spoke to Adam and gave Adam his curse. God spoke to Eve and gave Eve her punishment. Now God is speaking to the serpent. And the Bible said in verse 15, I'll put enmity between thee, he's talking to Satan, and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. Stop right there, guys. You are his seed. Every one of us are the seed of our father. We carry our father's name. We are the seed of our father. That is not only a promise of redemption, that is the first promise of the virgin birth of the Son of God in your Bible. Amen. Her seed. That's interesting right there. The Bible said, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And so we have the promise here that there is going to be a virgin-born redeemer that's going to come to this world. Here Satan has now taken power and put man in bondage because of their sin. Satan is now in charge, so to speak, and men are under his control. But the Lord gives a promise. Hey, hey, there's coming a day. I'm going to give seed to the woman, and the seed of the woman is going to bruise your head. The head speaks of the authority and the power. And he was giving a promise that Jesus Christ, as that virgin-born redeemer, would one day bruise the head of, of the serpent. He would rob the serpent of his power over fallen humanity, over Adam's fallen race. He would rob him of that. He would provide a way of salvation out of the curse of sin. They could be passed from death unto life through the virgin-born redeemer that was coming. He gave that promise. And so we find redemption's plan being instituted. But as we look and we see the first promise of redemption, and as we look and see the first promise of the virgin birth, and we look at this verse and we see the promise that Satan's power over the human race will be destroyed through the seed of the coming virgin-born redeemer, it's all true. But there's so much more in this verse than that. I want you to listen closely. The promise of the virgin-born redeemer who would come to bring redemption to the world and destroy Satan's power over Adam's race, are you listening? Would come through the home. We're still preaching on the home tonight. The home messed up and brought condemnation, sin and condemnation to this world. But God said, I'll bring redemption. And I'm going to bring redemption through a home. And can I tell you, right then and there, when God said, I'll put enmity between thee and the woman, you mark it down, friend, God uh, put enmity between Satan and the woman. He put, he put enmity between him and the woman. But the Bible tells us, uh, as, as we read through the pages of Scripture, we find that Satan, he declared war on the seed of the woman. And Satan, at that moment, declared war on the home. Do you think it was an accident that as we come to Genesis chapter 4 and we find Cain and Abel being born, do you think that it's an accident that Cain becomes the first murderer? Do, do you see what Satan tries to do from that point forward? If you follow that line that would come from Adam and Eve, and if you follow it all the way to Jesus Christ, you will find over and over there is a war by Satan to try to destroy the seed of the woman. There is a war by Satan to try to thwart the plan of God, to stop redemption's plan from coming to this planet. Is Cain the one that he was talking about? I'll, I'll make Cain into a murderer. And Cain's actually called in the New Testament the son of perdition. Oh, listen, is Abel the one? He'll be murdered. The seed promise can't come through Abel. And you follow it through. The whole world gets so lost in sin and wickedness till there's literally one man and his three boys. They're the only ones living for God and Satan is fighting homes. 
Satan is fighting families. Satan is ultimately fighting at that seed promise, that virgin-born redeemer promise, that promise of redemption. And the whole world is under wickedness. And I'm sure Satan's thinking, I've got this thing covered up, man. They're all gone in sin. But thank God, Noah, there was a good man. And there was a good home. And there was a godly home. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord, the Bible said. And God brings the world all, all of us come through Noah, amen. And boy, you follow that plan and just keep following it through. It was no accident that Pharaoh wanted all the male children in Egypt destroyed that belonged to the children of Israel. It was, it was a satanic attack. It's that enmity between the seed of the woman and Satan. It's no accident that when Jesus was born and the wise men came and they spoke to Herod, that Herod said, tell me where he's born. What did, what did Satan inspire Herod to do? Herod said, I want all the children, all the male children, two years and under, in Bethlehem, killed. What's Satan doing? That's a, last, that's a last-ditch effort to try to destroy the promise of the seed that would destroy his power. But can I tell you, all through time, if you read through your Bible, all through time you will find God has always had a godly seed, a remnant. God has always had a home that stayed faithful to him. There's a home that messed up. But there's a home that fessed up, amen, that got right with God, amen. And God blessed them, and God used them, and God would preserve that seed promise and preserve. And you say, well, yeah, you're talking about the home, but the seed promises to the woman, it is. And the Bible said in the book of Galatians, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman. But can I tell you that he did not bring his son into the home of a single young lady? He brought her into the home of Joseph and Mary. Joseph would not be the father, the earthly father of Jesus. He would be his father, his stepfather, but he would not be the God. The Holy Ghost overshadowed Mary. You know the story. The Holy Ghost, God was the father of Jesus Christ. Mary was that chosen young lady that God would bring the seed of the woman through that would bring redemption to the world. But I want you to notice real quickly, turn with me and I'm done. First Timothy chapter number two. First Timothy chapter two. I find an interesting promise here in First Timothy in chapter number two, verses 13 and 14. 1 Timothy 2, verse 13 and 14. God speaking about the place of the man when it comes to worship in the church and then the place of the woman in the church. As he comes towards the end of that in 1 Timothy 2, God says in verse number 12, but I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. And then God goes back to the story that we read about tonight. God goes back to the book of Genesis. God goes back to that first home. God said, for Adam was first formed, then Eve. So he's talking about the male and the female. He's talking about the first home here. And he said, Adam was not deceived, but the woman, there it is, being deceived, was in the transgression. But notice this, notwithstanding... She shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. Our first parents brought sin, degradation, and condemnation to this world. But God would bring a family, God would bring a woman that he could bring salvation and redemption's plan. Notice the pronoun in verse 15, if you're studying English at all. The Bible said, if they continue in faith. Underline that word, they, right there. The pronoun, they. The Bible had said, notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing. But then it said, if they continue in faith and charity and holiness. And I'm looking at that, and, and I realized that this verse went from talking about the woman to talking about the man and the woman. If you'll look at this, you'll find that verse 14 
he said, verse 13, Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived, notwithstanding she, because she was deceived, but she come down if they continue, and the they's back to Adam and Eve, dealing with the man and the woman. You say, what's the significance of that? God went from talking about Eve to talking about Adam and Eve. And just as the first couple brought sin and condemnation, God would use the home to bring redemption. She shall be saved in childbearing. She may say, man, I sinned. I ate the fruit that I should not have ate of. I was deceived, but I brought the human race, and Adam is with her. We brought the human race into sin, but God gave them a promise. There's coming a day. I'll bring a redeemer through the seed of the woman, and this verse right here said, notwithstanding, she shall be saved. She brought sin to the world. He brought sin to the world, but God said she shall be saved in childbearing. Why? Because she's going to bring the Savior into the world. The human race, Adam's race that's condemned because of Adam's fall, she'll bring the Savior into the world. She'll bring salvation. Salvation does not come from the woman, but she will bring the Savior literally into the world. And I'm saying here that just as Satan would attack the seed of the woman, God would always have his remnant. When the world was steeped in wickedness, there was Noah and his family. And then when the world wandered away from God after the flood, there was Abraham and Sarah. And when God was ready in the fullness of time, there's Joseph and Mary, continuing in faith, continuing in charity, continuing in holiness with sobriety. And the Bible tells us that the Holy Ghost overshadowed the woman, and her seed was born into this world. God did not bring his son, his salvation, his redemption to the house of a single mother. Rather, God brought him into this world through the womb of a virgin girl, but to the home of Joseph and Mary. And as the home of Adam and Eve brought sin and condemnation to the world, so the home of Joseph and Mary brought salvation and redemption to the world. Can I tell you this? Can I just share a secret and I'm done? Theirs was not the last home that God wants to bring redemption to this world through. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Theirs isn't the last home. Oh, no. Remember Sunday night we preached about how that our home the home foreshadowed the relationship of Christ in the church. Can I tell you that God wants to bring redemption to the people on your street through your home? Can I tell you that God wants to bring redemption to the people in your city through your home? Can I tell you that God is still looking for families today that are continuing in faith and holiness? We have all messed up. Yes, we've all like Adam and Eve. Sometimes we've, we've slipped up into sin. Sometimes we've walked into sin with our eyes wide open as couples, as marriages, as husbands and wives, as homes. But can I tell you, Man, we confess up, amen. God will forgive us. And, and God can use the same ones that you may. You say, man, preacher, I have messed up in my past. You may, so did they. But can I tell you something? God gave them a promise before that passage is done. And you may have messed up in your past. Your marriage may be messed up. Your home may be messed up. You say, man, you talk about divorce, I'm already divorced and remarried. Hey, listen, you can't unscramble the scrambled egg. But start right now and say, by the grace of God, we're going to allow our family to, we're, we're going to allow God to use our family to bring the plan of redemption to this world. Amen. We as a family, we're no longer going to continue to contribute to the sin and degradation. We are going to bring the message of salvation to this world as a family. Purpose in your heart that you're going to do that. Commit your home to God. Commit your family to God. John Phillips said in his commentary on Ephesians 5, the fact remains that God intends the Christian home to be an outpost of heaven in a sin-cursed earth. Can I tell you, God wants that for my home? God wants that for your home. Charles Spurgeon said, when home is ruled according to the word of God, angels might be asked to stay with us and they would not find themselves out of their element. That's a pretty good quote right there, amen. 
How about your home? Does it represent a little heaven on earth? Can others see Christ in your home and in your marriage? Is your home an outpost of heaven in a sin-cursed world? Let's pray. I'm going to close in prayer, and then as soon as I'm done praying, we're not going to have the invitation. We're going to have our prayer time like we normally would Wednesday night. However, if God has dealt with your heart and you feel the need to come forward and talk to the Lord and commit your home to the Lord, man, feel free to do that. I'll close in prayer, and then we'll begin our prayer meeting. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the home. I thank you, Lord God, for loving us so much. Lord God, that you didn't just create a man, you didn't just create a woman, but Lord, you created a man and a woman and brought us together in holy matrimony. And Lord, I'm thankful that though our parents messed up, and honestly, though we've messed up, I'm thankful, Lord God, for the mercy of God. And I'm thankful, though our homes may have scars in the past, I'm thankful, Lord God, that we can still have a bright future as we commit our homes to you and allow redemption and the plan of redemption and the message of redemption, the Savior, to flow through our homes for the glory of God. Help our homes, I pray, strengthen us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.